We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast, your divisional round preview. This podcast, of course, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. I'm your host, John McCackney, joined as always by Mario Puig. Let's get into the action. All right, Mario. So we got a loaded slate of games here to, to uh, carry us through this weekend. We got four really good ones. We weren't exactly treated to thrilling uh, football in a lot of cases last weekend, but here's hoping that, that this weekend delivers on the hype. Um, we're going to kind of run through all four games, break them all down in depth. Uh, we're going to get into some of the betting angles for it, and we're also going to kind of go through it in, in under the uh, framework of, of DraftKings for, for their four-game contest, kind of pick and choose guys, stacks, values that we like from each and every game. But Mario, let's fire this off starting off on the Saturday afternoon game, Cincinnati going to Tennessee. Weather doesn't look like it's going to be an issue there. Uh, 39 degrees during the day, dipping down to 23 at night. Uh, it'll Sun will set around halftime of that game. The line opened at uh, Cincinnati plus three, moved to plus four, uh, has mostly settled in at Bengals plus three and a half. Uh, your thoughts on on this game, especially in light of Derrick Henry's impending return, potentially, in addition to, you know, how the Bengals were able to survive a weekend ago? Well, last weekend, I think we can just say the Raiders, you know, benefited from expanded playoffs, weren't really the kind of team that belongs uh, advancing from the wild card round. So I don't know if there's much to take from it. Uh, the, the Bengals did whip them basically both times this year. So um, that's interesting. And it's, it's, uh, it's good for the Bengals to be, you know, getting hot this time of the year and the couple weeks before the, the regular season ended, they were seemingly looking their best. And um, that's, that's what you'd prefer to see. You'd rather start slow, get hot now than the other way around. So that's all good. What I have trouble figuring out is uh, how good, I guess the Titans are like, they're not as good as their seeding, but they might still be pretty dangerous. And in football, it's, you know, one, one game playoff is a lot different than, you know, a series and in a one game scenario, especially if you get a shorter game than usual or just a few wacky things happen. It's like the, the, the 
the one game danger of a team like the Titans is pretty high, even if they're not, you know, the, a team that you project to be better than like 10 and six or uh, 11 and six for nowadays, something like that. Um, they also have had uh, a lot of kind of like one-off ambush game plan things from Mike Vrabel that have caught teams by surprise. And in the playoffs, especially that's all it really takes is like one or two drives getting screwed up from your, your winning formula. And sometimes it's not a given that you can adjust or adjust I mean, in time. I'm just thinking of the Baltimore game from yeah. two years ago. I mean, they, well, it's they, like a lot of teams. It's like, uh, Baltimore. They seem to save all their tricks for those. Like maybe the, the reason they lose against these, these crap teams is because Vrabel literally just does not put as much thought into the game. Like maybe he tries to come up with these, you know, this bag of tricks and he tries to budget it over the course of a year and not use them up against, uh, you know, insignificant opponents or something like that. I don't know what else would explain it. I guess it all could be random, um, but it seems like random suits them. You know, it's, it doesn't seem like this, this kind of style really works against them that much when they get beat. It's uh, in a competitive significant situation. You know, it's, it's more like they get beat because, uh, the team they went against was better. Um, so in any case, I, th- I think, um, you know, Burrow getting hot the way he has in, in Chase, especially getting going again after kind of like a cool uh, six to eight weeks there after that that really hot start. Um, th- that's that's a formula that can work here. And I guess Janoris Jenkins is out for the Titans, so that has to make it a little easier yet, although I don't think he can really defend either of those guys being 5'9", especially not Higgins. Um, so we'll see. Um the Titans can't win on defense in the secondary, especially they can't win by like the basis of talent. You know, it's like they need the pass rush to intervene. They need Jeff Simmons to get to burrow and make it so that chase doesn't have, you know, four or five seconds to run those mm-hmm. downfield routes. And um, I don't know what, I don't know how likely any of that might be. I, I, like I, I don't want to bet against Vrabel and especially when he has so many kind of, it's almost like Belichick. And I guess you could say the way that, you know, you'd, you'd see certain, tape tendencies usage personnel tendencies from the Patriots all year then they get I remember that that Chargers playoffs game from a few years ago especially is like they just came out with this where they just bashed them yeah they just bashed them to bits with this this loadout of personnel and, and usage tendencies that they didn't really show all year so um Rabel does stuff like that and you know being involved with the defense it's it's probably sooner there that he that he comes up with it than on offense um, but yeah, he, they have to kind of like overachieve somehow is the thing because, uh, the Bengals defense isn't crap on the other side and their pass rush is definitely good enough to give Tannehill a lot of trouble. If yeah, I like the exposed. Hubbard, Hubbard and Hendrickson, uh, duo off the edge is, is Ogun, pretty nice. Ogan Joby and, uh, BJ Hill have been really disruptive yeah. inside too. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot to like for, from that front seven. Um, going going back to uh, the Bengals side of it. So obviously the, they they get the monkey off their back last weekend, but you know you mentioned T Higgins and the the problems that he might be able to cause that this um, this Tennessee secondary. He plays 54 snaps last week, but he did pick up that midweek injury. Did he look a little bit off to you? I mean, obviously one catch on four targets for 10 yards is not something that that we're expecting again necessarily, but are, do you have some concern that that the Bengals might need to find a, a legitimate second option outside of Chase if, if Higgins isn't a hundred percent? I don't know. It was it was tough to tell, especially early on in that game. It seemed like Chase was just kind of eating them up, and when Chase is a probably already like the most the, like the biggest concern of the defense, and and b uh, succeeding. Like he, it was something like four catches in a row. I feel like he had on that first drive, and it's like that's 
that just means like Chase has something on the defense right now. Like the, the Bengals got something that the defense hasn't figured out how to stop, and they're they're taking that and they're gonna take it no matter what everybody else is doing on the field. Because like mm-hmm. the, I don't remember what the numbers were. It was like sixty yards or something. I feel like in the first uh, I don't know like twelve snaps for Chase, something like that. Um, so Higgins would have had to have been playing just out of his mind to get targets instead of the guy producing on that level. You know, it would have been a, sure. a different thing if they were kind of sputtering for a while and, you know, Chase gets shut down for a couple plays and they go to Higgins on the third and he doesn't come up with the catch. Like that would have been a little different than them doing whatever they wanted and incidentally not really needing Higgins to do that. So uh, he's not on the injury report, especially this week. So I think uh, if the Titans do manage to shut down Chase, then yeah, the Bengals either stop on offense or, or Higgins gets going and the second seems a lot more likely to me. And then, you know, fo- following up on that, you know, if, if the, you know, the pass rush is getting home or whatever for, for Tennessee or, or those, those receivers aren't getting open, how big of a factor do you think Joe Mixon can be the, in this game? Yeah, it's, it's, um, he can always be a factor like in the the workload volume sense and like tiring out the defense sense like that was I guess that first Raiders game was a lot like that where he had 30 carries and it was only like 4.1 yards per carry he wasn't making any big plays but he did slowly erode the defense over the course of that game and they kind of blew the Raiders away in the fourth quarter that could be something that they use here especially if the pass rush is getting to Burrow uh, but the Titans run defense is pretty good so it, it doesn't seem likely that they'll just sort of get whooped you know it's like they'll need to they'll need to get choked out over the course of the game and it's it's possible but uh you need to kind of maybe you don't need to get the better offense than the other team specifically but you do need to give your defense enough rest and you need to develop sort of like a field position advantage over the course of the game that gives you the luxury of of leaning on those short you know clock eating run plays uh, that otherwise might be needed to to convert to points faster uh depending on what the score is okay so uh, you know, when it, when it comes to mixing, like, like you said, um, yeah, if, if the Bengals do kind of dictate that type of, of scenario, mixing can obviously execute um, in those type of situations. It's a pretty tough matchup. So I think he might be like touchdown dependent or he needs to get to that 20 carries kind of mark to, to wear down the defense, basically. Got it. OK. All right. That checks out. Um, looking at the at this Tennessee um, offense a, a little bit further. What are your expectations when it comes to Derrick Henry? He checks in as, you know, rightfully the, the most uh, or highest salaried running back on the board this week. I, I think in general, my lineup builds are going to go a little bit cheaper on running backs, try to try to pay up a little bit um, at, at receiver, at tight end, that sort of thing. So Henry, not necessarily on my radar this weekend, but and I do feel like we're going to see a lower roster percentage for Henry than, than we normally would. Uh, especially on a, on a small slate, just because the the uncertainty coming off of that injury. But what what are your thoughts on you know his usage coming back here? Presumably, I really have no idea. I mean, I don't know why uh, we would take this injury that's that's normally regarded as you know not just a season ender, but something that casts some some amount of concern over the the remaining career of a running back, and especially one as big and you know power oriented as Henry, someone who generates such freakish force with his legs and his feet seems like it would be kind of aggressive to me. And yet I guess that's exactly what the Rams did with Cam Akers. And uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I, even Jerry Rice, when he returned from that ACL tear in like 10 weeks or whatever, that one year, 
he didn't break his patella immediately. Like he had a pretty good game and caught a touchdown pass. And then the structural weakness in his knee mattered eventually. And, and, uh, I, I really hope uh, the science just turns out to be uh, futuristic and Akers is genetics freakish and, and certainly the same with Henry. But I do worry about both players paying some sort of price for these teams. Uh, you know, maybe they didn't, maybe this isn't rushing back for the new modern medicine. I have no idea, but they're both the first of their types and all the other types of these injuries were just, you cannot do this. So we'll see. I don't, I don't really know. It seems kind of aggressive to me, but I, I, basically didn't expect acres to play this much either right and acres i thought looked good for for yeah he looked better know. than he did his like rookie year <laughs> it was ridiculous. it was unbelievable to watch on uh, on monday night so um let's just let's go ahead zoom out um any dfs plays that, that you're gonna be targeting for, from this particular matchup well i guess i'm probably not the type to go with henry or at least 7500 strikes me as a bit much uh maybe Maybe the ownership projects so lowly that I should reconsider that. But 7,500 to me seems like a lot of risk and, and the reward of him. What is it? What does that even look like? Do we, do we really think that he is both beating this timetable and also it's a different type of injury, like tissue injury. I don't know if Achilles isn't good, obviously in acres case, but this might be a more serious injury for Henry to return from than what acres is Achilles. Doesn't he have a plate in his foot or something? Probably. I mean, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, but I'm, I'm still in any case thinking like, even if he plays and even if he gets some, you know, even, even if it's some substantial workload that he's getting, I don't see him being like the a leading scorer at running back by such a margin that it's worth taking on all the risk and at the highest price. So, um, this could just be fish uh, brain uh, laying itself out for everybody to see the, the wrong way to look at it. But that, that is how I see that one. And aside from that, AJ Brown is, is a very different case. Like at 6,200, um, granted that the chalk's probably going to be pretty heavy there, but I, I can't stay away from that. That to me is the, the free space, if there is one, and, and the free space is both, uh, you know, chalky and also oftentimes necessary to compete. Right. Yeah. You don't want to fall behind the field. AJ Brown, obviously capable of, of totally taking over a game. And, and, you know, you don't really have that many other receivers that project similarly this weekend, especially at, at a relative discount. I, I think I, I am going to explore a burrow chase mini stack at, at the very least. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. The Bengals side, I was, I was just going through the Titans, but yeah, the Bengals side, it's like everybody pretty much. Yeah. I, I even like Uzama. Yeah. He's a really good player. I, I, don't know if they usually have room for him to do stuff like he did last week, but he's, he's definitely good. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to save a little bit of tight end, that that's one way of going about it. And then Mario, I'll drop some splits here for you as far as what, where the money's coming in uh, this courtesy from our, our buddies over at WinBet. as far as the money line uh, take on, on this game, 51% is on Tennessee uh, of the tickets, but 53% of the handle or the money is coming in on Cincinnati. As far as the spread goes, 56% on Tennessee uh, covering that that uh, three and a half and 50% of the handle. So pretty split handle as far as the, the spread is concerned. 78% of the handle is on the over as well. So do, does that strike you in, in any way? I think it, it is a little bit surprising to me that the Bengals are, are getting uh, that much of the money on, on the money line. But um, I think it also makes sense. I personally think that the Bengals win this one outright. Sorry, what was the spread that you were seeing for those numbers? 
uh, let's see. So for for three and a half point spread, yeah. um, and then uh, the the money line, fifty one percent on Tennessee as far as the bets go, uh, the betting volume, and then the, the money, fifty three percent is on Cincinnati on the money line. Okay, yeah, I mean that stuff's always interesting. I'm I'm guessing that's kind of within sort of like the margin of error you would conventionally apply here. Like it's kind of probably like a toss up as far as uh, the 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 opinions of the betting and the the money weight placed on those various opinions it seems like it's kind of tough it's tough to call this one as we would expect it to be from the spread at a glance but um i don't know i, th- I feel like three and a half is is kind of like generous to the titans i suppose and um i'm almost surprised there's not more action on the the Bengals as a result because you would have figured people would you know with all those highlights lately the big plays all those touchdowns burrows throwing i would have figured they would be like almost trendy super bowl picks in the afc you know I got a little bit of a little bit of coin on the on the Bengals winning it all. Yeah, see, I'm surprised that's not even like more popular. But uh, maybe maybe people just really respect the the Tennessee playoff threat. In any case, um, I I feel like I don't know. It's I have trouble I have trouble thinking this through because I actually think both offenses can strike quickly. Like Tennessee is slow moving, but they can strike quickly to AJ Brown, maybe even to Julio Jones if he's on Eli Apple in single coverage. So. As, as long as it's like a one score game, you can imagine the other team getting back into it quickly. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how to call this one. I'll, I'll just go with Tennessee because um, I don't know. I, I do think the, the Cincinnati corners are pretty weak depth wise. I like Chidobe Awuzie is good, but I don't think he's good enough to slow down AJ Brown and he might shadow AJ Brown. And if AJ Brown's going as he normally would and Julio Jones is on Eli Apple, I kind of like Tennessee's ability to strike back. And I, I like their, um, I like their game, their game planning wiliness. Like I know Zach Taylor um, has largely redeemed himself this year, just with the success that they've had. But I think it's more personnel driven than coaching driven. Whereas, uh, you know, if if coaching matters at all, maybe it matters more in a in a playoff situation like this. And you know, certainly saw it matter with like Dallas against the 49ers. Like some teams just never will be prepared to play in the playoffs. Um, not that the Bengals are that, but I think Tennessee <laughs> is always prepared for for situations like these. Yeah, the the coaching facet of this one does make me nervous for, for Cincinnati. I think there, there is a, a pretty distinct advantage on, on the Tennessee side of things, uh, excuse me, as far as the, the coaching goes. But I think that the talent, the explosiveness and the ability to generate a pass rush on, on the Cincinnati side of things. And, um, you know, I'm not going to draw too much on momentum or, or rest versus rust, that kind of thing. But I, I do feel like the Bengals really are one of the most dangerous teams that left in the playoffs. And, and you know, but I'm sure Tennessee fans, you know, they're not stoked that re- their reward for, for being the number one seed is, is playing the, this Bengals team the way that they're going right now. That's true, but it, it definitely could be worse. I mean, as, as much as you don't want to play the Bengals, you probably would rather play them than the Bills or the Chiefs. Yeah. Or, uh, at least, the, I don't know, whatever. It's all tough. But yeah, I think um, Tennessee, they're just kind of one of those dangerous one-game teams to me. And I, I do think playoff experience matters. Like, if the Bengals win last week and lose this game it's still a very successful season for them it's still a a, a great trajectory that they're on and, and a lot of times in games like this playoff experience really is kind of what separates it you remember back in august when uh the, there's some of the most doomsday beat reporter chatter about the cincinnati Bengals team the worst practices they've ever seen Jamar yeah. not catch the ball. I mean, I think the the bigger, I guess the biggest takeaway from that is like the defense was good and they've never practiced against a pass rush before. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think um, 
you know, Burrow getting healthier over the course of the year had to help. I, I assume, um, you know, the, to me, the, the the dumber thing was kind of like the chase dropping passes in the preseason thing. It was like, I I understand that it's an event that happened, but like preseason doesn't matter, at least in the face of uh, the kind of LSU production that he had. Uh, if, yeah. if you playoff plays, doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, their their defense is, has been a lot better pass rush wise, especially than it has in I don't know forever, and uh, that 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 might have caused their training camp troubles when whenever that viewing occurred. Yeah, that, yeah, they got some 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 beasts there that they can definitely foul things up for the offense, make it a little bit tougher to to get into that rhythm. Let's move on over Saturday night game up in your neck of the woods, just a couple hours north of you. At Lambeau Field, we got the Packers minus six um, going up against San Francisco over under a 47 in that one. Weather going to be a factor again on the Saturday night game, just as it was a week ago in Buffalo. Pretty similar conditions, all things considered. Relatively light winds, but a a brisk uh, nine degrees at kickoff with a wind chill of minus four. Going to feel like minus five, minus six for most of this game. As the, the Packers play host to the 49ers, uh, the Packers obviously have some postseason demons against the 49ers over the course of this last decade or so. Um, what are your expectations going into this one? Well, the 49ers are definitely tough. And if, you know, traditionally, if, you, if a team's can't throw as much, then that might be to the 49ers' benefit. If, you know, with Rodgers being the other quarterback, that definitely will be true here. But, I don't know if there's much reason to think the cold will affect Rodgers that much. And uh, I don't know if, if Garoppolo really can't get the ball moving through the air, if his shoulder thumb issue is, is actually a problem, then maybe the green Bay run defense actually gets pretty good because they don't have to defend, you know, a certain downfield third of the field like they normally would. And maybe that just goes toward uh, shooting some gap that the 49ers normally clear out. Uh, I don't really know, but I do think that the 49ers, defense is against the pass is particularly vulnerable here. Like there's a chance of course that Bosa and whoever else could do so well that they just, you know, screw up the the green Bay passing game by, by getting to Rogers so fast, but those corners cannot cover very much and not, not these receivers can they cover. So uh, I think we might get something that looks a lot like with the first time these teams play, just maybe not as many deep passes. Uh, the, The 49ers corners, only got past that Dallas offense because Dallas's offensive scheme was just incredibly stupid. Like those, those corners, it, it, it was exactly what I was, was worried about going into that game. And it was the exact same way that the Cardinals played the Dallas offense a couple weeks before that, where uh, both teams are playing with guys who are practice squatters. Basically Ambry Thomas isn't a practice squatter with the 49ers, but he, he was supposed to be like their cornerback five or six this year. Not, not a starter. And Josh Norman got benched for John, Dante Johnson. Who's like a special teams uh, journeyman it's pretty bleak and it, so both the cardinals and the 49ers they cannot cover outside receivers right now and yet teams uh, in, in dallas's case against both of them were not throwing to the outside receivers even though those outside corners were lining up like 10 12 yards downfield at the start of the snap matt lafleur isn't stupid enough to do that if they try to line up those corners 10 12 yard it, it, rogers would overrule him even if he were if they try to put the, those corners 10 12 yards off the snap Rogers is just throwing it to the receiver until they stop doing that. And then when they stop doing that, they do the double move or the play action, whatever. If you just let the corners play as if it's third and 20 every snap, which is what the Cowboys do and what like your Ravens do a lot of the time when Lamar Jackson is the quarterback, then yeah, those, those bum corners aren't going to get beat because they don't actually have to cover anybody. 
you actually have to cover these receivers. And if you don't, they're going to throw the ball to them. So I think that the San Francisco pass rush will all of a sudden look a lot less effective if they're trying to play off coverage against the Packers. And if they don't play off coverage against the Packers, then they probably just get beat for not being able to cover the receivers. So I see it going that general way. I think Rodgers needs to have just kind of a bad off day for no real reason. Um, you know, sputtering drives and or turnovers that give the 49ers a short enough field that the fact that Garoppolo cannot do anything himself doesn't matter. But I do think that matters. So, uh, you know, looking at another example of a time where the Packers have gone against a a sort of overmatched um, pass defense, um, I I think back to to that Baltimore game where they they were just putting everybody that they could on on Devontae Adams, like doing absolutely everything. And it opened the door for a lot of those other receivers for Green Bay to to make their mark in, in that particular game. Do you see something similar here where, where San Francisco just kind of allocates all these resources to just like not letting Devontae Adams be the one that beats them? And, and then that opens the door for your interest for like an MBS or, or an Alan Lazard? Yeah, so they almost have to try to sell out to stop Adams, right? And yet, mm-hmm. A, that like like they might not be able to do that. Like they might, they might um, A, you know, try to do that and fail. And then, like you said, B, even if they do succeed in that, at what cost? Like what happens after that? And I do think that the cold lessens the chance of Marquez Valdez Scantling being the answer. Like they got to defend him. They can't just let that guy run free downfield just because it's cold as hell, but it's a little harder to complete that deep pass. Like the ball's a little heavier. Valdez Scantling's hands are bad enough, but the one guy that I do think can hurt the 49ers in pretty much all parts of the field is Lazard. And especially if they're getting Lazard against like K1 Williams in the slot, Ambry Thomas isn't very big either. I think Lazard is just plain good and he can line up all over the place. They can use him almost as like a tight end at times too. So if they successfully sell out to stop Devonta Adams, I still think there's a pretty good chance that LaFleur in that case would just get Lazard on whoever he wanted. And uh, as long as it's not like Fred Warner, then the defender in question, like maybe Warner, maybe Warner or Jimmy Reed, as long as it's not those two, then whoever is on Lazard, probably isn't suited to covering him in my opinion. So I think Lazard is there. Uh, Aaron Jones, you got to worry about showing up somehow. Just I feel like, it. I feel like we're going to have a, a pretty low roster percentage on, on him. Um, yeah. maybe, maybe it's anecdotal. Um, but I, I think that when you write the AJ Dillon fanfic of, of uh, playing a, a January playoff game at Lambeau field, where, where the wind chills under zero, you just picture that, you know, freight train of six foot, 240 pounds, just wearing out a defense. I think a, a lot of people are going to kind of grab it, myself included, are going to gravitate towards A.J. Dillon. And it might result result in Jones maybe being a little bit underserved as far as the roster percentage goes. I mean, that's definitely a way it could go. And, it, you know, especially if Green Bay has a lead, then you like the chances of Dillon getting on the field more. Uh I think I I think the 49ers run defense shows up though, and I think the 49ers run defense is good enough that, especially early in the game, especially if they don't have a lead, the Packers might want to go with the more explosive player and and you know save Dylan for for the reps that are like beneath Aaron Jones, you know, like when when it's time to run into the teeth of the defense, put AJ Dylan in, and when it's time to get a first down, put Aaron Jones in touchdown mm-hmm. first down, Aaron Jones. 
give him the ball. Uh, he had 19 carries against the 49ers back in week three when they played only at 82 yards, <laughs> but he had a touchdown and it's, it's interesting that they, that they worked him to that extent in that game. You know, it's like a, it was a tough defense that they played. The 49ers played that game and yet the, the Packers gave Jones some volume. So um, I like Aaron Jones as a player. Uh, I don't expect him to do a whole lot as a pass catcher. You, you'd think Warner pays a lot of attention to Jones when they start moving Jones around and, and start threatening to throw Jones that ball. Uh, may, maybe most games that goes to Jones, maybe in this one, it has to go to Lazard because Warner is on Jones. I don't really know, but um, you're right. The ownership sh- should be pretty low because I, I think, most people have a lot of respect for the 49ers run defense too, for good reason. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that does kind of make me in, in a roundabout way, a little bit curious about throwing Jones into a lineup, probably not doing the, the, the double backfield stack, however. And then on, on the, uh, on the San Francisco side, you know, Kit, Kittle, the, the production has been kind of like up and down. Is this a game where, where they kind of dust him off and, and get him a little bit more involved just under the expectation that, that Debo Samuel is going to be taking so much attention of this Packers defense? Yeah, and the price is really nice, too. 5300 it's like he doesn't even really need to do, um, you know, like Kittle's a guy that we often see at 6500 plus, like Kelsey's number on the slate. So 5300 that that at once make him, might make him a bit chalky um, and, and – uh, you know, I guess Dawson Knox being as hot as he is. Yeah, I mean, 5,300, if Kittle's not like 25-plus percent owned, I actually like that quite a bit. And those those safeties, Darnell Savage, uh, Adrian Amos, they do a good job covering, but they, they largely cover downfield. They're not really like rovers. They're, they're more like both free safeties, like they're two center fielders. So um, I think Kittle could have a pretty good matchup here. I don't think there's anything in the front seven that's concerning for him. Uh, he had a big game the first time you know, nine targets or whatever it was. So yeah, I actually like Kittle a lot. I think there's a pretty good case to make for him as the top tight end on the slate. So with, with that in mind, do you think it's, it's the week to fade Debo? I mean, it, it always makes no. you feel nervous to, to fade a guy like that. No, I wouldn't say fade him exactly. I mean, you can just prefer other receivers, you know, but it don't uh, make your 49ers related picks on the assumption that like there's good, there's some answer to Debo Samuel out there because I don't think there really is. No, he's he's too versatile. He's too just mean with, with the ball in his hands. So, uh, do do you like his setup here? And you know, figure he's going to get into that backfield mix once again um, as well. So, Mario, looking at the betting uh, for for this game, seventy one percent of the uh, of the bets are coming in on Green Bay money line. Sixty percent of the handle, however, so ten percent difference. Niners carrying forty percent of the betting handle um, in this game on the money line. 71% of the money is on Green Bay to cover, and they are also getting 87% of the handle. So as far as the spread goes, Green Bay is kind of dominating that one. And the over is getting 60% of the tickets, but the under getting 63%. So so kind of a split uh, thinking as far as um, the, the money coming in on the, on the total going to the under versus the betting volume going towards the over. Yeah, that's hard to keep track of and sort through. It's almost like some of the people might be like using a a hedge between the two bets, like like putting a, a different amounts on uh, both things, uh, depending on like I assume what the the payout terms are. Um, I got to go with Green Bay. I just I just think um, like Jimmy Garoppolo played at Northern Illinois. It's not like the cold is something that he doesn't know about, but there's just something about Rogers there. 
And I think that the Packers are just the better team overall. Like I think they would project as the winner in a neutral site. Uh, in addition to to the to the cold, if Garoppolo's thumb and shoulder are actually limited, then then that's that's maybe the the best reason to fade Samuel if you're going to see it that way. Because like yeah, maybe if if Samuel has a bad game, I don't see how the 49ers cover. You know, or how the, how they uh, yeah cover and certainly not win. Right. Yeah. They're, they're just not going to be competitive if, if Debo isn't a major factor in this one. I tend to agree with you. I, I think that the Packers are, are the best team in the NFL. Um, I say this as someone who hasn't had the Wisconsin tap water in, in months, but I still um, am just a, a sheer believer in, in Rodgers, the way that he's playing and, and the rest of the, this roster has really come together nicely. Love the coaching. Um, I, I think this is a, this is a slam dunk. Um, I like the Packers to win. I like them to cover. Uh, I think they win this game by by a touchdown, possibly more. Even even in light of their recent uh, postseason failings, I, I still I think this is a, a bit of a different team uh, this time around. Um, before we get on over to our next game, we got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we also have a message from our friends over at WinBet. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions, and even more so, making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in seven states. That's Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. While rapidly expanding at WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all Roto-Wire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Roadwire's fantasy podcast. All right, Mario, on to Sunday. We got the Rams going across the country to face the Buccaneers. Rams obviously took care of business Monday night. I think a lot of that had to do with the Cardinals playing their D-minus game, maybe their F game, just an awful game. From Arizona, not that, not to take anything totally away from the Rams, but um, you can take most like of it they're... from the Cardinals instead. They 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 blew it. They're idiots. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. That they, they, yeah. That's absolutely true. Um, 
let's see, as far as the, the Bucks are concerned, uh, they were able to kind of overwhelm the, the Eagles pretty easily, I, I felt like. And, and, you know, maybe Philadelphia now is to ask itself some existential questions um, when, when it comes to how they're going to approach that this offseason with Jalen Hurts, with, you know, with the quarterbacks, with the draft um, kind of loadout that they have with all those early round selections. Um, but your thoughts here when it comes to the Bucks playing at home, uh, two and a half point favorites uh, against this Rams team. Well, uh, we got the Tristan Wirfs thing, which we got to keep an eye on, I guess, because I don't know who the right tackle is, but he, he's not as good. The backup right tackle. I don't know who that is, but can't be anywhere near as good as Wirfs. And uh, don't know what today's update was, but not practicing Wednesday was in a boot uh, shortly beforehand. Uh, it's also worth keeping an eye on Cyril Grayson. I don't know if he's going to be able to play. He wasn't practicing Wednesday, but he's a pretty convincing uh, track kind of conversion guy that they got. And uh, Whitworth, I guess, for the Rams, bears monitoring to Taylor Rep. I don't know if he's going to be back. He's he's a three down safety for them. So there's a few things to keep an eye on there. Uh, Worf's probably the biggest one, even with Whit, uh, Whitworth being pretty close himself. Uh, did you happen to see, John, uh, have you heard, are the Rams already in Tampa? Like, are they practicing this week there? Or are they? That's, doing... a, that's a good question. It, it would certainly behoove them to do that. I mean, they're, they're already on the short week as it is having played on Monday. I think it would make all the sense in the world to, to get that travel arrangement set up ahead of time. Uh, you know, if they weren't there yesterday, maybe getting there today, Thursday what would be the, the optimal move to kind of uh, mitigate the impact of, of going across the country because, you know, theoretically the, this would be that that proverbial uh, body clock game for the Rams. Yeah. And uh, yeah, aside from that, though, I mean, this is tough to think through for me because I don't really expect the Buccaneers to be able to run. I uh, just don't think they really have the personnel to do it. And Brady without Godwin is, is a lot different. Obviously, Godwin and, and Antonio Brown, of course. Jalen Ramsey might be able to lock up Mike Evans pretty good. I don't know if yeah. they, I don't know if they would be able to stop Gronk if that happened, but stopping or containing even one of those two might be enough for the Rams to put a lot of heat on the Buccaneers. And Ramsey basically doesn't lose. So uh, even if he even if he doesn't truly shut down Evans, it's it's hard to see Evans doing what he wants to exactly. And those other receivers, I mean, I get I do think Dante Dion is insanely out of place as a, as a cornerback for the Rams who plays uh, basically a three down role. Uh, he can't cover anybody that will run against him. Like if, if he stops a play that goes his way, it's just because he was like sitting in some zone and, and just hopped on the ball. Uh, something like that. Cause he, he's like one sixty and runs a four, six. He can't cover NFL receivers. Respect. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's uh, an every man, uh, you know, <laughs> I lunch pail guy. Yeah, my God. Uh, it's like the beer truck driver, Michael Lewis, but it's like oh. he's, he's not even fast this time. He's just like a just not even a good NFL athlete. Um, but anyway, uh, those guys, Darius Williams is good. It's the other short corner, Dion, who can't cover. So uh, we'll see. Uh, they they got to minimize Dion's exposure somehow. And uh, David Long, the guy who had the turnover last week, normally he's just kind of a bum. So uh, the, the Rams did, need did you notice anything careful. out of Weddle last week. Uh, I didn't. Uh, did you? I That's probably good if you're it's well. probably good yeah. yeah it could have been noticeable in a really bad way and i didn't yeah. notice him um so that's that's interesting also the, the cardinals just didn't show up so whatever nope. um Awful. but yeah so i don't want to bet against tom i mean quite the, quite the contrary i think at a what is this price here 6800 6, he might be kind of chalky and probably for good reason because he's he's gonna have 
his own, you know, totally unique game plan here. Like whatever they're going to show the, the Rams, they, they might not have put on tape all year. Uh, there's a reason he's, he's so uniquely dangerous in these settings. Um, but I, I think Stafford almost has to blow it on the other side for, for, for uh, the Rams to not have at least a really good shot at like coming down to the last drive or something. Cause uh, Carlton Davis, I imagine is going to have to shadow Odell Beckham because normally Carlton Davis shadows the number one receiver, but normally the number one receiver is not a slot receiver like Cooper cup. So I don't know if Davis is going to follow cup to the slot. If he does cup probably beats him. Uh, Sean Murphy bunting probably gets beat by cup in the slot slot. Most of the time. I don't know if there's some kind of, game planning wrinkle the Buccaneers can come up with to stop that but if Carlton Davis is on Odell Beckham and if they put if they try to play like one-on-one press man coverage against Odell Beckham I bet Beckham can dust Carlton Davis and that, I think Davis is a good uh, corner but I think Beckham is too explosive to leave on one-on-one and, and yet I don't know how they do anything else like you, you can't just like cup uh, catch 15 passes on you you have to try to stop cup somehow um so i feel like stafford should have opportunities to hit this defense uh deep probably not against jamel dean though like jamel dean's got the sideline locked up um yeah i guess i gotta go with the buccaneers just because i don't expect brady to ever blow a game and stafford i, I think is pretty good at it um, yeah he, he is and like the you know they, they played earlier this season but i feel like the rams you know, they started so hot, but they, they've been really Jekyll and Hyde for really the, the better part of the latter half of the season. Bucks are nasty at home. I mean, uh, I think they were 6-2 and two against the spread at home during the regular season, obviously covered last weekend. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I just have a hard time betting against Brady this time of year. This is still a good Bucks team, even, even without Brown and Godwin. Um, if Wirfs is out, that might make me a little spooked. Like I might have to bail on the spread at least. Okay. All right. That that definitely makes sense. Um, it's not a huge spread though, which is kind of interesting to me. Uh, I, I, w- I would have thought that, you know, the the uh, Bucks would have been closer to oh, four point favorites, but yeah. I'm, I'm seeing two and a half. So yeah, um, that is a, uh, huh. that's, that's skinny. Yeah. And, and here's some, I mean, some interesting money line wrinkles here for you. So 59% of the bets are on the Rams to, to win this one and 68% of the money also on, on the Rams to, to win this one. Wow. Um, fi- yeah. 59% of the tickets are, are on Tampa to cover this um, 52% of the handle on the, t- on the, um, on the bucks as well. Then 70% of the bets, 62% of the handle are both on the over, which checks in at, at 48 and a half. I, I'm surprised by um, the amount of volume be, being decidedly on the Rams. Maybe it's just like a, a good value. You just like the number. I, th- I think maybe that that's where people are coming from. It might be like worse too, because I guess, I guess Brady got hit a good amount by that Eagles defense. And uh, you know, I don't personally think Leonard Floyd is that good of an edge rusher, but Von Miller hey. might be. Um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> he's, he's a totally good, uh, strong side, uh, you know, kind of run stopper guy. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I got to go with Tampa just because McVay has to have an ace up his sleeve. You know, that's what he needs very specifically because he has if he hasn't been saving that ace all this time, then the Rams are just they just got problems that they're never going to solve. You know? Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, Rams money line right now, plus 130 um, over at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, So one of the narrower underdog uh, money lines uh, on the board, the the Niners, the heaviest underdogs at at, uh, plus 220 um any other like dfs considerations from this one before we move on how are you how are you approaching this one uh you know given that the the totals checks in at 48 and a half 
I actually think it's best for the Rams if the Buccaneers try to shadow Beckham with Carlton Davis because because I think Jamel Dean is as good of a counter to the to the explosiveness that that Beckham has and he, Dean just kind of like shuts down the sideline even if he can't really go anywhere else he shuts down that part of the field and Beckham has to mostly run in that part of the field but Davis is he's he's like a four five three forty guy he's bigger he's more grabby more like a James Bradbury almost and James Bradbury isn't a track guy so uh, I th- I think that the Buccaneers could kind of make it harder on themselves and really hurt themselves by trying to cover Beckham with, with Davis. But if they don't, I don't know what cu- other than cup really gets going reliably for, for the Rams. So um, I guess I, I will say I like cup at 8,600 more than Devonte Adams at 8,500 just for the weather reasons. But uh, beyond that, I guess I don't really have any thoughts. Don't really like the run games in either case. Yeah. I don't either. I'm not going to chase acres. I still think that, um, you know, that that's still a really stout run defense for the most part in, in Tampa Bay. So, um, yeah, staying away from that. I, I'm definitely a little bit more curious on, on uh, getting a lineup with with the uh, Rams pass catchers after our discussion there. Um, let's move on over. We got the last game of the weekend should be a good one, folks. We got uh, the Kansas City Chiefs checking in as two and a half point favorites against the Buffalo Bills. Weather not really expected to be uh, much of an impact here. 42 degrees a kick, mostly clear. Um, I don't think the wind's supposed to be all that bad. Buffalo was eight and three against the spread on the road this year. Obviously, uh, had that one kind of statement win over the over the Chiefs with that big rain delay in it, if I remember correctly, um, earlier in the season when when they kind of announced their arrival. That was a it, slot ball game. That was yeah, a it, game. It, <laughs> excuse me, it was <clears throat> a little bit of a of a bizarre game, uh, no doubt. Um, as far as <clears throat> uh, the betting splits are concerned. 61% of the bets on the money line are for Buffalo, but 55.7% of the handle, uh, so the money coming in on the money line bets, is coming in on Kansas City. I feel I felt strongly about taking the Buffalo money line coming into this, but seeing the, 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 vault, like the public be kind of on that as well is kind of making me reconsider and may, maybe thinking uh, Chiefs, Chiefs money line would be the, the way to go here. So this is a tough one for me because I actually think the Chiefs offense is pretty much busted. I think it I think they lost something and they're not going to get it back this year because they they need basically a, a they need a run game that can hammer the defense and make it pay for sitting back as deep as it does against the speed and, and you know the Kelsey threat and the seam. So I don't think that this Buffalo defense is necessarily vulnerable to the Kansas City offense. I think the Bills would have to do some dumb things that I that I don't especially expect of them. To, to make this Kansas City offense look like it has against, you know, the Raiders this year or uh, the Steelers this year. The Steelers just have bad personnel. There's only so much they could do. Mm-hmm. So um, I think Buffalo is still dangerous uh, defense wise for Mahomes. But I also think that it would be a mistake to think that the Bills are fundamentally different uh, than they were earlier this year or last year in any positive sense. Uh, last year, their offense was better point blank. And I think a lot of people are looking at that Patriots game last week, the way that the Patriots just got totally wrecked and thinking like, oh man, now the bills are on a new level. The Patriots did that wrong. The Patriots played them as stupidly as they possibly could have. They tried to play man coverage against Josh Allen, which I I know Belichick has some reason in his head as to why he keeps trying to do this, even though it keeps blowing up in his face, but you can't play man coverage against the bills. You need to play zone defense as much as possible for two reasons. One is that you can't press covers to Stefan Diggs. No one can do it. If you try, you'll just, even if you double team them, you'll just kind of like fail at it and you'll leave yourself weaker at every other rep as a result. 
But the other reason, and maybe even the biggest one, is you need to keep eyes on Josh Allen as a runner. And if you're playing man coverage and you're turning and running off the line of scrimmage, then you're not looking at him. And he's running, and you're still running away from him downfield instead of turning around to pursue him and shut down the run. So you see how Kyler Murray couldn't get anything going against uh, the Rams last week. Like They were just sitting in basic zone coverages, just keeping eyes on him. Like Keep an eye on him. He won't run. And if he doesn't run, he can't do anything. Now, Allen can do more because he doesn't have a moron for a coach and he's got better players around him and, and he's arguably better himself even. But the, the danger of them falling off in a way that no one's projecting is, is definitely there because I don't think the Chiefs are going to try that. I think Spagnolo uh, has done a pretty good job lately. I don't want to say he's just like good exactly. And, and certainly the Kansas City run defense especially has some weak spots. Uh, Sorensen's a weak spot in the passing game but I think they're going to play a fundamental like sooner the inverse of what the Patriots did like they're going to do a lot of ostensible disguised coverages and and they'll cover parts of the field and not individual players so do you remember if the if they tried any wrinkles along that and the first time uh well the first time Allen didn't have a good game as a passer he just ran around a bunch and guys couldn't tackle him so uh that was I think maybe when Charvarius Ward was still out too I can't remember but uh the the Chiefs defense got quite a bit better in the second half and uh getting healthier at corner might have been a part of that but I I mean Allen played in Arrowhead last year too in the playoffs and he didn't have a very good game it was fine but he was 28 of 48 for 287 yards and two touchdowns Ran Chris Jones did not play in the, in the first game, by the way. Oh, yeah, I forgot about how Chris Jones was hurt, too. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think this is a really tough game for both teams. I think it's, you know, both teams are very dangerous to the other one. But especially if the Chiefs just if you just if you make Josh Allen think after the snap, that's when he starts doing things that don't really make sense. Like when he knows before the snap where everyone's going, it's really easy because he can just you know, stress some part of the field where he knows no one's going to be. And either he can throw it farther and faster to that spot, or he can run to that spot better than the defense had in mind. But if you make him figure everything out after the snap, it's like he, it, again, it's like loading a trebuchet sometimes when he throws the ball. And if you have to do it, if you have to load a crossbow, load a trebuchet, when there, when there's people rushing you, it's a lot different than like already having it locked loaded, knowing where you want to go with the ball. So if the chiefs have a prayer, it's, they have to make Allen think after the snap and make him, you know, think wrong. Right. That that's always a huge key. And then, you know, there, there is kind of the X factor where the, the, the routes aren't there for Allen necessarily, but he just makes a play. Yeah, if he does. So I don't think he will really make a play as a passer unless the defense is getting whooped like they were last week. And that's not really that's not like bashing Allen. I just think he was making those throws because the defense was getting that beat. I don't think it was just like he was uh, doing otherworldly things. I think a lot yeah, of that was like guys, a historic offensive performance. Oh, it was a beat down like the, 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 the they didn't punt. Did the, they even the get Patriots? The Patriots did literally everything they would have wished. If, if the Bills could have wrote a wish list about what to do, short of just like not putting any players on the field, it would have been exactly what the Patriots did. And I think the, the Chiefs don't do that as a, as a matter of, you know, general policy. Like they don't play man coverage like that. They, they do disguise coverages. They do varied sub package type deals. Whereas with the Patriots, it was just like, oh, this guy's on this guy because he's right in his face, right at the line of scrimmage. And we know he's not going to drop back in his own coverage because there's, you know, this guy's over here. This guy's running this route over here. We can sell the protection sliding this way. I go over here. This guy's getting open in two seconds every time. Like every time it happened, it was, it was like clockwork. So um, Allen can still be dangerous, obviously, and he's better in Arrowhead. Him and, him and Herbert, guys like that are way better in Arrowhead than like weak pop gun arm passers. Um, but it's still not that easy of a place to play. And if he can only really get going as a runner, um, 
it, by the way, even if Allen has a bad game as a passer, he probably will have a good game as a runner. It's just the issue is that probably isn't enough with the Bills roster. Like there is, uh, Allen needs to do a little more, I think, than Mahomes does to win this game. Uh, but you know, maybe maybe that's the wrong way to see it. Yeah, no, I think I think it will be much tougher for Allen that, that this time around. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a fascinating matchup to to see if if Buffalo is able to kind of. Uh, maybe replicate in some way uh, what they were able to do a weekend ago. But again, like you said, um, a much different game plan likely uh, coming from the Kansas City side of things. As far as as the Kansas City offense, you mentioned earlier that they they might have some fatal flaws that they don't get fixed until next season. What does that mean for Sunday? So I I guess I should say, I don't know if the Bills are that well suited to run that particular defense because Poyer and Hyde are both good safeties they're both former corners coverage is definitely their strong suit but they're also both slow like they're 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 bad athletes even for safeties even though they're cornerback sized both so i don't know how good they are suited to play uh like the real too high like dual center fielders i don't know if that's really their game as much as dual robbers like playing robber like in the middle of the field and 10 yards 15 yards under something like that is where Poyer and Hyde are really tough because they can they just show up in places you know covering tight ends they just they just appear when the slot receiver is getting a target you don't really see so many plays with Hyde running the length of the field Poyer running the length of the field you know going for a jump ball those plays don't really happen so maybe they can do that maybe they haven't done it because they just haven't needed to and maybe the Chiefs are the reason they have to do it, and, and they do it well. But in the meantime, those corners cannot run with the Chiefs receivers at all. And it's not just Tyree Kill. It's like, Nicole Hardman can run right past all these corners. Byron Pringle can run right past these corners. If they're trying to play man coverage and they're not getting to Mahomes and, and they're not and, and they're not doing the too high in a disciplined, uh, really successful way, those corners can get burned. Uh, like, it, like, it can like strike anywhere from the field kind of danger. They really need to be worried about getting beat every play. Yeah, that that's that's one hundred percent true. Yeah, there, there's so much speed on and athleticism when it comes to that Kansas City group of pass catchers that you know you take your eye off of, off of one of them and and you know they're streaking down the sideline. Um, looking at that Chiefs backfield, it's it's obviously been one of the trickier ones to to sort out this season amid all the injuries and just sort of hmm, unappealing for the most part options. Jared McKinnon helped me win eight dollars last week though, so. Nice. Am I going? Am I going back to that well? Well, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is supposed to play this week, and I, I know that you know Daryl Williams and Jerick McKinnon having good fantasy days, and, and Edwards-Hilaire being hurt all the time has led a lot of people to say like, "Oh, they're better than him now." Uh, they're not. Uh, if if they are better than him, then Kansas City's in trouble because I think Edwards-Hilaire is still hurt. If that's the case. Um, I don't think the run defense for Buffalo is that good. Like it's good, but the numbers say that it's great. And I don't think it's great. So I think there's a way for the chiefs to hurt uh, the bills in the ground game, especially if the bills really are just selling out deep and, and not defending the underneath the intermediate the way that they normally do. So I, I, I do trust Andy Reed to come up with a pretty good game plan here. Like as much as I think there's something to criticize with him and, and how they ended up in that place they did where they, they can't beat anybody who runs like a too high. Like I don't think it needed to be that hard on them, but I also would be pretty surprised if he showed up here just like, you know, at a loss for ideas. Like if he's had enough time. I I think uh, it's 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 a lot more likely that he just kind of like took too long to fix it than never fixes it. And uh, as much as I do think personnel is the main thing, 
that can change it. There are certain other things that they, they could just do differently that, you know, wrongly or right or wrong, I kind of expect Reed to, to be more competent than incompetent with the game plan. Yeah, I mean, they, they've certainly earned that that benefit of the doubt. It's going to be tough to, to beat the Chiefs, let alone in Arrowhead. But I think the Bills do it. I, I know I was just waffling on that a little bit once we got to the, this. I do not want to pick a side on this one. I don't feel strongly about – there's so many conditions that I have to place, you know, and it's you don't, you don't actually get to stipulate conditions. Uh, we right, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. So – um, I, I guess we'll end it <clears throat> with our predictions as far who wins, who's going to be playing in the in the conference championships next weekend. I will start. I think on the AFC, we see two road upsets. I think we, we see the Bengals and the Bills both win on, on Saturday and Sunday, setting up an AFC championship game in Orchard Park. That would be electric. And then um, on the other side, I like the home chalk. Um, I, I do think that uh, the Packers are able to take care of business and then I, I think that the Buccaneers also, th- despite the, those concerns that you raised with, with the past defense, I'll just side with Tom Brady and, and assume that it's going to be a, a rematch of last year's NFC championship a week from now. Yeah, I'll go with all favorites. Uh, just saying the one upset that I prefer over the other three, I guess, is the Rams. But uh, I, I will take all favorites. Probably not a bad way of approaching it, Mario. And then. Uh, one last thing, a commenter, Gary, wants to know what our best props are for the for the weekend. I, I haven't personally looked into them just yet, but we do run three sportsbook articles. Uh, they are for free, behind, uh, no paywall. Uh, we run those on Saturday to, to kind of get the most updated odds and numbers for those. So Kevin Payne writes a DraftKings sportsbook article. Walter Hand does the, the win bet. Uh, and Eric Tim does the, the FanDuel Sportsbook. So we got tons of prop coverage. I probably like a Lazard one, if I if I must name one. I probably like Lazard. Yeah, drop one in there. Sprinkle it in. Yeah, Lazard. Keep, keep an eye on, on his reception yardage or anytime touchdown. Uh, let's say actually any category, but especially touchdown or receptions. Love those calls. All right, that's going to wrap things up for us here on the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Once again, Brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.